Hey, Laurel. Hey. Um, I like your. Is it? Is that a blouse? Is it a blouse or a dress? I guess it's a tunic. Oh, I I like I like think your tunic is lovely. It's it does a good job of flattering your curves. Oh, I thank you. You know, are you is this a slightly disguised attempt at bitchiness or are you just <laughs> It was almost a compliment. That's a, it was almost, halfway. It was halfway to a compliment. Halfway. That's halfway exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. I thought it was very subtle. I mean, it's a voluminous <laughs> ensemble and there are culottes involved and like I get that the overall combination is a bit much. Hi, my name's Annie Fox. I'm an editor at Glamour, and I swear like a fucking sailor. I'm Laurel Pinson. I'm also an editor at Glamour, and I am a culottes evangelist. And you're listening to Walk Wives, a podcast dreamed up by two desk neighbors. We call ourselves desk, desk mates. Desk mates here at Glamour on the thirtieth floor. And if you're wondering if this is what we're like in real life, it is. Yeah, this is real life. <laughs> this is real life. We just turned the microphones on and didn't move from our <laughs> to continue to hand over thinly veiled insults. Mm, that sounds good. You should start working working in things like, isn't that nice? Mm, it's very you. That's a good one too. Very you. It's very Nobody you. else could pull that off. Nobody could pull that off but you. We have such a highly developed lexicon for how to discuss things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Like we're now so good at it that it would require so much unprogramming for me to just sort of say what I mean. Also, I think that people avoid awkwardness at all costs. Because like, we have told ourselves that having direct conversations about those things are inherently awkward. Like that is the thing. We've told each, ourselves and each other that not only are they awkward, that they can sometimes be considered rude. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing we want to avoid at all costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly I feel it because I grew up in a household of, with British people. And if there's one thing British people dislike even more than having their own emotions, it's like creating any other emotion in another human being. And so I have grown up in a house where you have words for other words that are considered to be less confrontational. That's interesting because I think it's very similar in Southern families. Oh, I can see that actually. No, but in the South we would say things like bless her heart as like a thing to just end any – like if you started to veer into something that was sort of negative, you know, you'd be like, well, and then she just, you know, f fell off a cliff and <laughs> was a horrible mess, you know, and a drug addict for years. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. You would just end it that way. Like it would sort of soften the blow in this weird <laughs> way. Or like, you know, well, that dress doesn't fit you at all. Bless your heart. You should go back up and change. Annie. Yes. I know you have a little bit of a problem with the word flattering. I have a huge problem with the word flattering. I have an almost as big problem with the fact that you use the word flattering so much. Well, I don't use it all the time. You used it a lot. I, d I mean, I did use it. I did use it a yeah. lot. Well, the truth is, I mean, I think I used it in the way that everybody uses it. For example, you would use it to sort of describe how an outfit made your body look better than your body naturally looks or Ooh. we perceive that it naturally looks. But doesn't right there, does that yeah. not sit terribly with you? I mean, I think that is the core of why I hate the word is it's this idea of improving oneself through a great lipstick or a blouse. I think there's two parts to it. First of all, I hate this idea that I need improving, that there is a shirt that will make my stomach look flatter or my shoulders not as broad. Just this idea of it being better for me in the eye of whoever's looking at me. And then the second part of that is this sort of putting the focus on being looked at, that somebody else gets to judge whether or not I should wear peach-hued lips instead of cooler colours because of my 
Asian-Australian skin tone. So that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to talk with Lauren Chan about the word flattering. And we're going to talk to Simone Kitchens about um, her hair. So one of our editors actually had a really interesting experience with coded language on Instagram, which, you know, is a home for weird comments. Mm -hmm. So we chatted with Lauren Chan the other day. Loved that conversation. In particular, found it interesting that she pointed out three, actually three coded words. Flattering. There was curvy Mm. and then plus size. Yeah. And plus size is really loaded. Yeah. And here's our interview with Lauren Chan. Social media can be the worst And you had quite the experience um, a few weeks back. Why don't you set set it up for us? Tell us what happened. I did. So Glamour Meg posted a photo of me in my favorite sundress of the summer. It was a dress that went to the knee. It had thin spaghetti straps. There was a ruffle at the chest. It Mm. nipped at the waist. I'm still going here. It nipped again at the knee, and then it ruffled out at the knee. So that's (gasps) a lot of shape. There was also red, green, white, and black stripes. You sound like a vision. Yeah, it was the whole shebang. The whole shebang. And and tell us about the reception that it received. Well, 50 comments later, I went on to read them all, obviously excited to see what everyone had to say, and I was shocked because over and over and over again, commenters kept calling the dress unflattering. So, you know, what, what, what did you think about this? I mean, I've never heard the word unflattering that many times, to be honest. It's like they all came up with it at the same time. Well, that was what was so weird about it. It was like... First of all, unflattering is not a direct word. It's code speak for not slimming. It's Mm -hmm. code speak for you don't look as thin as you could look. And so I think this looks bad, but I'm not really going to tell you that in those words. So instead, I'm going to use a magazine jargon term, unflattering. Right. And I would have been fine if people said, this dress is ugly. I don't like this dress on you. That's way too many colors in the stripes. I'm glad you have a fashion opinion. Please, God, tell me. I can take it. I love to hear that. But don't tell me that the dress is unflattering when what you really mean is I don't want to see someone in your size in a dress that adds volume and has stripes and does everything that I've ever seen a size 12 girl shouldn't be wearing. Right. So here's a question for you. If you could ban the word, would you? No, because... Mm. We also can't get into this space of banning words. I mean, the same thing comes up in the plus-size debate. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I used to be a plus-size model, and I cover the beat here at Glamour. And for me, it's an industry term. It has uses. It has purposes. We shouldn't be calling consumers plus-size because it gets into this whole debacle, as you've been seeing lately in the media. But banning words isn't the solution. Talking about what we mean is the solution. Talking about servicing a group of people that hasn't been serviced before is a good intention. And focusing the conversation on banning a word is a total beside the point. Right. Right. So so from your perspective, the word flattering is okay as long as you're not using it in in a way that's secretly talking about size. Right. I mean, the same thing goes to relate it back to the plus size conversation again, in my opinion, with the word curvy. You can mean that someone is curvy if they are a size 2 or 24 and they have a chest, a small waist, and a big butt. That's curvy. Calling a group of people who are size 14 plus, which is the plus size sect, curvy is code because that's not what they are. They're plus size. So since, Annie, you hate this word. I hate this word so much. and I Plus size or unflattering? Unflattering. Oh, and just the term flattering. It, I deeply hate it and I can't wait for the day that it become, 
becomes extinct, which I think it will. I just think people will stop using it because, to your point, I think if they mean, you know, you look too tall. But see, see, even you're struggling with what you're going to say. I know, because it's hard to be direct, right? It's hard to just say. we haven't been trained to be direct, and that's the point of all of these commenters spitting out the word unflattering is because it's all about training and what your mind's eye has seen and what you've absorbed through media and you don't know that you have. So you're having a hard time right now saying whatever you may mean. Right. The same way that these commenters probably couldn't bring themselves to write this girl looks bigger than she actually looks in real life in this dress Mm. because we've been trained to absorb the word unflattering and just use it as a blanket for a not-so-good thing that we mean. Well, I know you, Pins, and obviously you, Lauren, um, are both fashion writers, and you were a fashion writer for a long time. I'm sure you've both used the word flattering. I will admit that I Googled my own name and flattering to see how mm-hmm. often I had used it because I've been writing about fashion for more than 10 years. Oh, this is where our friendship comes to an end. How and many times have you used it? It was many. Yeah, I mean, man. and often on television segments, it would just come out of my mouth. I think to your point, Lauren, you're absolutely right that it's a cheap word. It's a word that you use when you don't know what else to say. Um, you don't know how to say this makes you look better. You're not supposed to be prescriptive. I mean, especially here at Glamour and even in our own personal relationships, we talk a lot about authenticity or embracing yourself. And and to your point, this automatically sort of distances you from that. I think it is it's a cheap word and I've I've definitely used it when I didn't know what else to say. And now I'm not sure I don't know what I would replace it with to be quite honest. Do you use the word in your own writing, Lauren? I try not to. I mean, there's a series of editing that happens. Of course. There is you know, we have a sensitivity where we need to be speaking to a large group of people and not offend anybody. And I think that that's how it gets put in a lot. But you talking, Laurel, about having been writing for 10 years and backtracking through your work and then bringing us to this moment of us having this conversation just goes to show that media is also transforming. You know, mm-hmm. social media has made us, has forced us rather to be more transparent. And so I feel like things like this, like the word flattering, talking to readers about how to not look unflattering is on the way out as part of that transparency. Um, well, thank you for coming and sharing your story with us, Lauren. Um, for more amazing opinions, follow at LC Chan on Insta and Twitter. And you have a column about this very subject. I have a column called Style Your Size, where each month we'll talk about size diversity as it relates to fashion. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds sounds awesome. I can't wait to read that. And more rants. More rants. More rants. More ranting at work. That's really my goal, guys. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could listen to Lauren talk about plus size for days um, because she's really been, A, a part of that world. And so I think she can speak about it with a lot of knowledge, you know, which I don't have sort of as an independent observer. Um, but I think it's really interesting that she references really consistently that it's a it's like a garmento yeah. expression. Yeah. You know, plus size was like a way of categorizing clothing, you know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't intended to be a anything. marketing? Yeah, like yeah, a marketing right, slogan. Right. It wasn't yeah. supposed to be like an identity thing. Mm-hmm. Once you start thinking about coded words, you just start thinking about how we use them all the time and about all kinds of subjects like 
you know, I, I was thinking in particular about the words we use to talk about race without talking explicitly about race. Um, Simone Kitchens wrote a really incredible essay um, that was featured in an, uh, the September issue of Glamour um, and that you can still read on the website um, about her hair um, and in particular how people talked about her hair, um, which was really, really interesting. Right. And I thought Simone's comments about what defined good hair, particularly as a child, which I found really surprising that she'd grown up with this sort of striving for this type of of ideal. Um, I thought that was really fascinating and an interesting code word. Well, and it relates. I mean, I feel like you spend so much of your childhood just trying to be like everybody else. Like I feel like your mission all the way through adolescence is to just be the same as everyone, to just be invisible um, because there's this sort of safety in invisibility. And I could so relate to what she was talking about just from stupid things that I'd done. But I can't imagine what it would have been like to have something so core to your identity or to have something that you had to deal with on such an everyday basis. Absolutely. And and I just don't think you have the tools to kind of, this is an Australian term, go into bat for yourself. Mm. So we're going to play that interview for you guys now. We are being joined by Simone Kitchens. Welcome. Welcome, Simone. She's a beauty editor here at Glamour and overall cool chick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) So first things first, what is triangle hair? Okay, triangle hair is what I have right now. Um, My hair is sort of flatter on top, fuller through the ends, and it's cut straight across. It's very blunt. So, you know, if you have very naturally curly hair and it dries naturally, it will form into a triangle. Just like a triangle. I have to say that it looks very dope sitting here with you in the studio. It looks great. So did you did always I? have triangle hair? Like when you were a kid, is this exactly how your hair looked? Yes, actually. Um, when I was little, I would just get very sort of straightforward, layer-free haircuts when I was little. So, you know, I had triangle hair. It was a little shorter. It was like chin length, but <laughs> a smaller triangle. Uh, I'm curious to know who dubbed it triangle hair. I I don't know, but I think growing up, I started to get wind of it being this thing that would happen to curly hair. And I think when I t- understood it as a term, it was I realized it was kind of a negative thing. Who told you initially that it wasn't flattering and what did you do? You know, growing up, like hairstylists were sort of trying to change it. And I think as I sort of got older and, you know, was managing my own hair and um Also, you know, I work in beauty and I was a beauty assistant and I was going to salons for work and I was slowly, you know, getting these haircuts that were intended to sort of be blown out. And so my hair was just getting straighter and straighter. I was blowing it out myself. I was, you know, getting it blown out professionally. And yeah, that was sort of my hair for most of my 20s was like much straighter. Well, the the hair that was considered more flattering was this kind of blown out, more smooth, more smooth, less naturally curly hair. Essentially. Yes, yes, yes. So I that's kind of what the last, I don't know, eight years of my life were. A lot of work, a lot of hot tools, a lot of just sort of turning my hair into something it wasn't, into something I guess I thought was more flattering, mm-hmm. um, something more straight. And, uh, you know, it was this, I think, idea that smoother, you know, like softer hair is sort of more ideal. And I think that, you know, um, I'm... I'm someone who's mixed race and, you know, I'm some black, I'm some Native American and my hair isn't naturally those things, but I was sort of trying to make it into, into that. There's a bit of a subtext to this, you know, and I know like Lauren Chan, when we talked about flattering, she was talking about the subtext of people using a word like curvy or using a word like something else. And she's like, you're just telling me that I'm big. That's fine. You know, tell me that you don't like how I look or that I'm bigger, but don't use subtext to try to talk to me about it. So do you feel like triangle hair has some of that same subtext? 
I think so. I mean, certainly I felt that when I was younger, you know. Um, I think it's, you know, triangle hair, yes, it's sort of a, you know, it's a style. But I think for curly hair in general, I think there's just been this idea connected with it for so long that it means you're, like, wild and, like, zany and, like, non-conforming, but also kind of, like, ethnically other, you know. Mm -hmm. And, like, that I feel like has been tried, you know, to use an obvious way, sort of smoothed out in so many ways. When did you get to the point where you either re-embraced your triangle hair or just decided you were done with the hot tools? Um, I wish I had, I mean, I, I did come to it on my own, but it was sort of a, a result of uh, an essay I wrote for Glamour, actually, where I explored my background, my race, and um, it was all centered around uh, my getting this question, what are you? Mm-hmm. I get it. I've gotten it my entire life. Um, I get it once a week. And um, one thing that it was kind of around this time, I remember this guy walked up to me and he was like, he was like, I just had to come and um, he's like, I just had to come and talk to you. Like when I saw you from, from afar, like I thought you were black, but then I saw your hair and I thought you might be white. So I just needed to like come and like and ask you. And I was just like, it like hit me like, holy shit. Like what am I don't know. I was just like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, why am I? I don't know, whatever it's projecting out into the world, I wasn't, you know, it was like, it was a lot. And so... Also, what kind of question is that? Like, let's just take a minute. Like, who said, like, that to me says so much about how people feel about hair in general, that that was such a thing that he felt comfortable to be like, clearly, because I hear, see your hair is smooth, you are probably white. Like, that alone says an enormous amount. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... I that will never forget that. Um, and, you know, again, back to this essay I was writing, I sort of also, again, had to describe what I look like. You know, my skin is brown, my eyes are brown, and, you know, I needed to describe my natural hair texture. And for so long, like, I just really, like, hadn't, you know, kind of acknowledged having curly hair. Like, a lot of people in my life did not know that I had curly hair. Wow. So it was this almost like this I really had to sort of face it moment and – you know, I was like, okay, shit, I have to write down, I have curly hair, I should probably like start wearing my hair curly. And it was, yeah, it was sort of like this, you know, it was a bigger moment of sort of understanding my background and my race. And, um, but it was also, there was sort of this side effect of like, you know, sort of reclaiming and um, embracing my natural hair texture. I mean, how did you feel the first day that you walked into the office with this big, awesome triangle hair? I... So that's the other thing. I sort of was, it was this moment where I, I was into what it looked like, but I was almost a little ashamed of what I had been doing for so long. Mm. And it was almost like I just wished that, like, no one, you know what I mean? I could just have, like, sort of erased the fact that I had, like, done that for so long and people would just sort of see me like this is how I am, you know? So it was almost like I felt like I sort of had to explain myself a little bit. I guess I just never thought I would be in this place. Like, a year ago, I it was this thing that I sort of secretly, like, dealt with. And now it's, you know, now it's this thing that I'm apparently more getting more comfortable with you know I definitely feel like again to get back to this whole idea about flattering you know there's days where I sort of catch myself in the mirror I'm like holy shit my hair looks insane you know I really like I try to tuck it behind my ears because it's just like out of control and I don't know it's sort of just this I kind of have to like own it in a way that I've never really had to before Thanks so much for hanging out. And if you want even more Simone, uh, you can follow at Simone Kitchens on Instagram and Twitter. Who doesn't want more Simone? I mean, always more Simone. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, guys. I love that. Um, I loved that conversation with Simone Kitchens, particularly. I think hair is an interesting one because it's so closely tied to 
identity and sort of how we, and maybe it's unique to women, how we see ourselves or represent ourselves. It's such a personal thing. It really is personal. And what I actually liked about both her story and Lauren's story was how much it ultimately was about authenticity or, or being authentically yourself mm-hmm. um, and, and what it takes, whether you are already there to begin with. You know, I think Lauren has a really, just like a really strong sense of confidence and real sureness about how she feels about these terms and the terms that people use and, you know, her own body and how she feels about it. Um, and Simone really sort of took a journey kind of to arrive at a place where she's really comfortable with herself and is also comfortable talking very directly about what what people what certain terms actually reflect meaning like what these what these coded terms actually mean like she's sort of gotten to a place where i think she understands it now all right well i guess it's time to go upstairs and start saying what we really mean and i guess we'll see how long it takes for us to get fired or look at me, I think I can get through the whole thing. Okay, I'm going to look at you. All right. Work Wives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna Maysline, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. And we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC.